Welcome to Walking with Freya, a journey through special needs parenting. This podcast is a place for parents and caregivers of children with special needs to share stories, the very real struggles and challenges we face, along with the inevitable love and joy these children have brought into our lives. This is a place for unapologetic honesty, well-intentioned laughter, and endless support. A safe place for us to learn, share, discuss, and help each other navigate this often unexpected journey. Be kind, be supportive, and when you can, keep the humor. My name is Annie, and welcome to Walking with Freya. Most of us have heard of the Montessori method of education. But what do you know of the woman who created this method? So a very interesting fact that I learned while deciding on a person to profile, and the reason I chose to start with Maria Montessori, is that she began her foray into childhood education by working with children with mental disabilities. Now it's this time, working with these children, that laid the foundation for the internationally successful Montessori approach to education. And if you're wondering, wait a second, uh, why are we talking about Maria Montessori? Well, welcome to the first of what I'm hoping will be an exciting addition to the Walking with Freya podcast. I want to start by saying that um, I did a lot of, put a lot of time into researching, which is part of the reason why the podcast is late. And I have so many other projects happening. So I'm sorry that this is late, but this took a lot longer than I expected. And trying to edit this will, um, would be nuts. So uh, it would take another week to get it out. So I'm going to not go off script, even though I just did. I'm totally off script already, but (laughs) for the rest of the time, I'm not going off script because I want to get this out there. I'm really excited about this. And uh, so, yeah, you might have to hear some of the little like uh, breaths and things like that, that I usually try and edit out. But anyway, um, yeah, I hope that, I hope that you guys are into this idea. I first had this idea while reading to my girls from a great book called Bedtime Stories for Rebel Girls. And we were reading about Helen Keller and the story was brief. It's just like a, a page and then a picture. And, but it reminded me of other podcasts that I've listened to that have dived deep into Helen Keller's life and how much I learned about that remarkable, mar- mm-hmm. remarkable woman. So I thought, what a great idea to find more people throughout history who have overcome their disabilities and challenges, who have found ways to live happy, successful lives with the challenges they were given. I was not expecting to start with someone who herself did not have a disability, but the deeper I dove into her philosophy and her early work with children with mental disabilities, I thought, what a powerful message. So that is why we were here talking about Maria Montessori. And here's the part where I tell you <laughs> that, that I apologize for it being a week late and how the research took longer. And again, I already went off script. And I'm going to try not to do that So, because um, I want this to be cohesive and understandable. I really hope you like this episode. One of the exciting things in my life is that I am now getting some freelance writing jobs, which is part of the reason why this did take long, because I did not add in the research time along with all the other writing projects. So it's awesome, but it's also taking up most of my time. So I'm trying to 
find the balance here. So bear with me um, while I do. I'm definitely going to keep doing this podcast because I love doing it so much. And I'm actually really excited about this element of it. And I hope that you are too. But um, yeah, if you think that this is an interesting addition, you know, you can let me know, email me, let me know what you think about this. Is it an interesting addition or does it feel too far from the personal stories that we have been discussing? Do you love this episode? I want more. Do you have a person to suggest for future episodes? Things like that. So, and I'll just remind you now before I get too far into this to please tell a friend about this podcast. Subscribe on your podcast app. Please leave a rating and a review. These are all crucial elements to the success and spread of any podcast. And yes, get in touch with me at walkingwithfreya at gmail.com to let me know what you think or if you would like to share your story on this podcast. So, okay, buckle up. Here we go. (laughs) So, Maria Tecla Artemisia Montessori was an Italian physician, educator, and the creator and founder of the Montessori philosophy of education. She was born August 31st, 1870 in Chiavale, Italy. I will say that I did uh, spend some time working on the pronunciation for uh, some of these things. So (laughs) hopefully, hopefully they come across smoothly. So her father was Alessandro Montessori. He began his career as a soldier and moved to the tobacco industry, eventually becoming an official of the Ministry of Finance in a local tobacco factory. Her mother was, unfortunately a name that I couldn't find a pronunciation for, Renilde Stopani. She came from a prominent family. She was well-read, and she supported her daughter in every decision that she made in her career. Maria was an only child, and in 1873, the family moved to Florence, and then in 1875, they moved to Rome. Now, here's a gap. I didn't really find much about her childhood, but... um, I'm not sure if it's really if it's relevant for what we're talking about here. But in 1890, she graduated from secondary school. She had a talent for mathematics and biology and intended to pursue a study of engineering. But at age 20, with a certificate in physics mathematics, she decided on medicine instead. And this was something that was not common for women at this time. So in 1890, she enrolled without much support from the staff at the University of Rome. In 1892, she, uh, she received her initial degree along with additional studies in Italian and Latin, which then qualified her for the medical programs. She enrolled in 1893. She was met, of course, with hostility and harassment from the student professors because, ding, 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 she was a woman. And because of the nudity and the corpses and the presence of male students, Maria had to perform her dissections of cadavers alone, I think, at night. Uh, So, you know, she had some challenges being a woman. But she did win an academic prize that first year, and she continued on. In 1895, Maria got a position as a hospital assistant. She studied pediatrics and psychiatry the last two years of school. And in 1896, she graduated from the University of Rome as a doctor of medicine, becoming one of the first, if not the first, woman to graduate in that field in Italy. She got a job as an assistant at the university hospital while also opening her private practice. 
So now we're getting into the time that really is of interest for this podcast. Between the years 1896 and 1901, this period of time really seems to be the foundation of her educational philosophy and when she made a name by bringing it to the rest of the world. And it began and was largely influenced by her experiences of working with children with mental illness and intellectual disabilities. So along the way, she became a prominent advocate for women's rights and education for mentally disabled children. So when it comes to the years, um, I did find a few discrepancies with the years of certain events, um, but they were just, you know, one or two years off. So I don't want to focus so much on that. And it's more about the progression and the experiences. And I will say, oh, here's where I went off script again. <laughs> here's where I add, I scripted in the part where I tell you that I uh, put some time into pronunciations. Um, so moving on. In an article entitled, Maria Montessori and the Special Child, The Relevance of Montessori for the Child with Special Needs. That's all the name of the article. And it was written by Dr. Pratiba Karanth, PhD, and she wrote, The insights that led to the development of the Montessori approach were first derived from work with children with disabilities. And one thing that Dr. Karanth explains is that when working with children with developmental disabilities, one can often witness the stages of typical development in slow motion. And this helps researchers record and understand development. And I just thought that kind of that breaking down of it was a fascinating bit of uh, insight and explanation. And I know it's not black and white like that. It's not cut and dry, but um, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting that this, you know, kind of this, you know, we have the same development, but it is just, it's slowed down a bit. And, uh, you know, you can really, really fine tune it. And I think about that, I'm totally going off script now. Um, but that makes me think of like, Freya learning to walk and how, you know, most kids, it's like, oh, or even just sitting up, you know, like most, you know, most kids, uh, it just happens and we don't see all the little fine motor things, the little fine tune aspects of it. And when I first started taking Freya into the um, oral motor specialist, she started breaking it down for me about, you know, the sitting up. Well, she can't sit up if she can't hold her head up right and if she can't roll over like this and get up and it's all like everything you know and, and it went that way through walking like breaking everything down bit by bit and it's all these little pieces that you know typically developing children are doing but they do it so quickly or so you know it's just kind of we don't catch it we don't really notice it so much and uh, so we do see that really broken down with um, our kids who have a harder time Okay, that wasn't so bad off script. Okay, 1896, uh, question mark next to that year. She was appointed head of the Institute in Italy. Now, I believe that this um, is talking about the Orthophrenic Institute, although there was um, another year that said 1900, so maybe it was a different year. But um, she was appointed head of an institute. She was a director. Uh, so... But the point is that she was devoted to the care and education of children with mental di disabilities. And soon after working with these children, several of the eight-year-olds passed state exams with above-average scores. Now, this was an inspiring moment for Maria and uh, is what um, in part led her to, to look at applying this later in life to children uh, typically developing abilities. So in 1897... 
She was a volunteer assistant at the University of Rome Psychiatric Clinic. She would visit asylums in Rome and observe children with mental disabilities. During this time, she also studied the works of, here we go, French is not my first language, <clears throat> Jean-Marc Gaspar Itard and Edouard Seguet. So these two men, they themselves were 19th century physicians and educators, and specifically educators of children with, uh, well, children and adults with um, disabilities. So Itar was known as an educator of the deaf. And uh, when I read a brief description of his on Wikipedia, there was some mention, there was a mention of some of his practices that seemed questionable that I thought, so I didn't want to dig any further, but he was apparently credited with the creation of the Eustachian catheter. So um, I'm not sure how prevalent that is today, but I imagine it was a really kind of um, key component in hearing aids and helping people hear better. I could be wrong, but... Um, and Seguet, who uh, he was also a physician and educator, around 1840, he established the first private school in Paris dedicated to the education of individuals with intellectual disabilities. He then moved on to the United States, where he established a number of schools in uh, various cities, and the, these schools were for the treatment of the mentally handicapped. In 1866, he published a book called, sorry for the title, but it was called Idiocy and its Treatment by the Physiological Method. So, um, you know, in his uh, physiological school in New York City, the programs that were used stressed the importance of developing self-reliance and independence in the intellectually disabled by giving them a combination of physical and intellectual tasks. So I think this, uh, you know, this will bleed later into um, Montessori, and you'll you'll see how. But um, yeah, so Sege and Ita, both names which are hard for me to say, um, but check them out if you're interested. <laughs> so Dr. Montessori was working with children with intellectual disabilities and also researching other educators in this field. All of this was becoming the foundation for Montessori education which I will explain in a little bit, um, but I just want to get a few more aspects of her life here. I want to do her honor and uh, get past these, these names and dates. In 1988, she wrote several, wrote several articles and spoke at the first pedagogical conference in Turin. Hey, side note, uh, definition of pedagogy for those who don't know. Pedagogy is the method and practice of teaching, especially as an academic subject or a theoretical concept. So, um, and Dr. Montessori was, was very big into pedagogy, and she uh, did a lot of studying in the area and, and her own speaking and things like that. And she urged the creation of special classes and institutions for mentally disabled children and teacher training for their instructors. Also in that year, in 1898, Maria gave birth to a son, Mario Montesano Montessori, uh, on March 31st in 1898. Now this child was probably for the time very scandalous. Um, there, this child was born out of a love affair with Giuseppe Montesano. And Giuseppe was a colleague of Maria's at the Orthophrenic Institute in Rome 
where they both worked, they directed and developed the curriculum. But Mario was sent to live with a farmer's family in the countryside. His father did claim his uh, did claim him on his, on the birth certificate three years after his birth, and uh, I believe I read that he was sending him money for um, you know his expenses and for I think even traveling and stuff. Now Maria never did show up on his birth certificate, but she did visit him throughout his childhood. It was never clear to him until he got older that she was his mother, but she did she did visit him. And finally, in 1913, when Mario was 14, she privately acknowledged him as her son, and he became a part of her family, though to the rest of the world he remained her nephew or adopted son. I think um, I think eventually when they were both adults, it became clear that he was her legitimate son. But, you know, I think that it can be easy to pass judgment here on Maria for not claiming her son outright. But, you know, as they say, it was a different time. There were some things that were very different, and Maria was very dedicated to her profession, to her research, to her education, to her advocacy. And this was at a time when something like having a child could take all of that away from her, especially having a child to someone who was not your husband. So, you know, I think that, um, you know, it would be easy to to critique that, or maybe not, I don't know. Um, But... The world definitely benefited from it, even if her son did not. So that was a a sacrifice, perhaps. Or perhaps he was very happy with his family, we can can hope. Now, in 1901, Maria left the Institute and became a professor of anthropology at the University of Rome, a position she held until 1916. And her lectures were eventually published into a book that uh, you can get today called Pedagogical Anthropology. And that's on my to-read list someday. It sounds pretty interesting. Uh, It was around this time that she began to realize that her method of education could be used with children without disabilities as well. And this was first tested in San San Lorenzo in Italy at a children's house. Children's houses were a kind of daycare center founded in renovated working-class apartment houses called Casa dei Bambini. And they were a great success, and they began to open more, and Montessori education began to spread. She described her method of education, one of her most famous works, a book called The Method, The Discovery of the Child. So if this is interesting you, if you want to know more, That might be the book to start with. Now, Maria spent the next decades traveling, lecturing, and spreading her philosophy of education known as Montessori education. And one important thing to note that uh, came up when I was looking at the actual method of education, um, and I even found a podcast, and I'm sorry that I don't remember the name, but I'll put it in the show notes. But it's it's a podcast dedicated to Montessori education. And they stress that... um, The name has never been trademarked, so really anyone can open a school and call it a Montessori school. And uh, in that way, you know, you you might be getting shafted, I guess, if you think you're sending your kid to a Montessori school. So there are, um, there's a society, American Montessori Society, and their website is amshq.org. And you can check with them, uh, check on that website, and there's a way to find out if the Montessori school in your area is 
um, I don't know if it could be an accredited school, but there there is a specific training that the teachers there is a specific training that the teachers go through and things like that. So, um, you know, just be wary and uh, make sure that um, if you're getting into a Montessori school, just you know, make sure it's legit. Now, in 1911, Montessori education was officially adopted in public schools in Italy and Switzerland. In 1912, schools were opening up in Paris and other Western European cities, and they were planned for Argentina, Australia, China, India, Japan, Korea, Mexico, Syria, United States, and New Zealand. People were into this. Maria had really cracked a code, and uh, it was inspiring people in education all over the world. Okay, so I'm going to start wrapping up the rest of her life here for in the interest of time and mental clutter. Um, also, you know, I believe our interest is the foundation of her philosophy. So um, kind of the last little bit, and I got all of this from creative-montessori.com. In the 1920s, just this next bit, in the 1920s, Mussolini exiled her from Italy because she refused to compromise her principles and make children into soldiers. She then moved to Spain until the Spanish Civil War in 1936, and then she was off to the Netherlands. In 1939, she was invited to visit India, and there she worked with her son Mario to lay a strong foundation for the Montessori movement in India. She left there in 1949 and returned to the Netherlands, where she passed away on May 6, 1952. So, that was Montessori's life. And now I want to get a little bit into Montessori education. And most of this next stuff comes from Montessori.edu and DailyMontessori.com. And there are other websites that I use, and they will all be in the show notes if you are interested in uh, my sources and diving further. So the philosophy of Montessori education is to protect the best in each child. It is designed to help children reach their fullest potential at their own unique pace. The classroom is seen as a community, and in this community are children of varying abilities. Everyone contributes, everyone learns from another, and there are multi-age groupings allow the child to find their own pace. Montessori discovered that in an environment where children are allowed to choose their work and to concentrate for as long as needed on that task, they come out, they come out of this period of concentration refreshed and full of goodwill towards others. The classrooms are broken into age groups, and children are challenged according to their ability. This sounds like the uh, cornerstone of inclusion. So... I like that one. Now, the environment is arranged by subject. Children are free to move around the room. There is no limit to how long a child can work with a piece of material. And what I learned from the podcast, that they are not allowed to work with things that they have not yet been instructed in by the teacher. So it's not as a, uh, not necessarily a free-for-all. They, the materials that they're working with, they've been given some instruction on how to work with them, but then they're free to explore. So at any one time during the day, all subjects will be studied at all levels. The child's effort and work is respected as is. 
The teacher plans individual projects so, so the child can learn what is needed in order to improve. Now, for example, under six, they learn through all five senses. They learn at their own pace. They have a choice of activities from hundreds of possibilities. And they are not required to sit and listen to a teacher in a group setting, but they are engaged in individual and group activities of their own with materials, like I said, introduced to them one-on-one -on -one by the teacher who understands where they are, what their abilities are, and what they're ready for. And learning is a process of discovery. And uh, one of um, my children, you know, go to a Waldorf-inspired school, and uh, the, the bumper sticker that you can get at the front desk says, education is a journey, not a race. And I really like that. So above age six, um, they, there's no textbook or adult telling them what to do. They are directed in group activities. The children learn to do their own independent research, they arrange field trips to gather information. They interview specialists. They go to drama. They, or they participate in drama. They see drama. They do art exhibits, science projects, etc. It is a children's choice. There's no wasted time. Children enjoy their work and their study. As I was writing this, I was thinking that for many of our children, it seems on the surface that this style might require more independence than what uh, they can cope with. But I know there are plenty of resources out there that touch on this, and uh, so definitely look deeper. I'm just giving an overview of the education. And uh, um, yeah, I am by no means a uh, an expert or knowledgeable on this. I'm just uh, relaying information. All kinds of learning styles are represented, and intelligences uh, like musical, bodily, kinesthetic, spatial inter- and intrapersonal, intuitive, traditional, linguistic, and log logical mathematical styles. So a variety of styles, which is a plus for, I would say, any child, not just kids, um, you know, with unique abilities. You know, they all have uh, different learning styles, and we all need different ways to learn and approach things. So I really like this aspect. And also the assessment. There are no grades or forms of reward or punishment. Assessment is by portfolio of work and the teacher's, teacher's observation and record keeping. On the site Montessori.edu, they say, the test of whether or not the system is working lies in the accomplishment and behavior of the children their happiness, maturity, kindness, and love of learning and level of work. The education of the character is considered equally with academic education. Children learning to take care of themselves, their environment, and each other. I love it. Well, when I, I believe I got this from the, uh, although I read this on numerous sites, um, but I'll just read this off of the Wikipedia page for Montessori education. As Montessori developed her theory and practice, she came to believe that education had a role to play in the development of world peace. She felt that children allowed to develop according to their inner laws of development would give rise to a more peaceful and enduring civilization. Thank you, Maria. Can we get some more of that? <laughs> we live in a crazy time. And so this next quote from Dr. Maria Montessori herself that I'm going to tell you, I love it. 
and I think we need a lot more of this thinking. She said, Preventing conflicts is the work of politics. Establishing peace is the work of education. Now, for her work, Dr. Maria Montessori was, uh, she received a total of six nominations for the Nobel Peace Prize in a three-year period since 1949, 1950, and 1951. Now, one of the main tenets, the way I understand it, of the philosophy is that children need a sense of belonging and they get this by participating in routines of everyday life and this is inclusion this is you know this is exactly what it is and in Montessori they say help me do it by myself and the goal is to provide opportunities for independence this builds self-esteem this builds skills needed for lifelong learning so our kids may not be able to perform tasks that a, here we go with the air quotes, typically developing child could, but we can find tasks that they can do. Freya is always so excited and proud when she could help out. And researching this reminds me that I need to find more ways for her to participate in all the daily chores and things like that. Now I want to get into, I want to touch on something that I didn't totally understand I mean I understand it to a point but um, I'll I'll give you the information and you do with it what you will but Dr. Montessori talked about four planes of development this is an element to the philosophy so this involves four planes of development each plane representing a period of development and on the diagram broken down by age and you can look it up Uh, you just look up Four planes of development. Development. I'm sorry if I'm slurring that word together. Four planes of development. Put that in your Google search and you'll see all these different diagrams and charts and maybe it'll help you understand it. Um, it'll for sure make more sense than me trying to explain it. But these planes are broken up by age group, like I said, and it is a diagram for typical development. And according to the American Montessori Society website, In 1988, Dr. Sylvia Richardson suggested that to identify children for learning difficulties with a goal of enacting early intervention, teachers should observe development of coordination, language, attention, and perception. These are things that can be easily done in a Montessori classroom. And I think the idea is that to target the unevenly developing areas before the distance between the skills get too large. If there is uneven development, this hinders the integration of these skills that assist in the child in learning. So basically, that's a big domino effect. So working from this premise, Maria explored ways that education could minimize the differences between typically developing children and children who experience learning and attention differences. Basically, This early work in sensory education led to the comprehensive multisensory curriculum of the Montessori method. And there, I will leave off (laughs) before I get further into trying to explain something that I am just beginning to learn about. But this episode was meant to be less about the method of Montessori, though I do believe it is a very inspiring philosophy, and hopefully some of you are in turn inspired to dive deeper 
Please don't be shy about sending me emails if I have misunderstood something or if I missed mentioning something that is crucial to understanding Dr. Maria Montessori or her education philosophy. Send me those emails. I'm, I'm ready for them. <laughs> but for now, I hope that you enjoyed this glimpse into the life of Maria Montessori and the profound effect she had on education in the world. My favorite part of this story is how this method began with her work with children who are so often overlooked or misrepresented, children who have been historically mistreated. Those children were the ones to provide Maria with the experience and the insight to create an educational philosophy that is now known and respected throughout the world, one that goes deeper than grammar and math equations a method that teaches and inspires the child as a whole with an appreciation for and understanding of community. I'd like to leave you all with some words by Dr. Corinth. I mentioned the article earlier. The article was called Maria Montessori, the Special Child, the Relevance of Montessori for the Child with Special Needs. And Dr. Corinth wrote, it is important to remember that Maria Montessori herself had a deep empathy for underprivileged children, be they economically, developmentally, or socioculturally underprivileged. Her life's work was for the greater good of all children, and the practitioners of her teachings need to remind themselves of this, even if it means digressing from the nitty-gritty details of her teachings, in order to encompass inclusive education which was certainly close to her heart. As and when Montessorians open their hearts, minds, and houses of children to the child with special needs through inclusion where possible, Maria Montessori's vision would have come full circle.